And so that's one of the things that I really wanted to communicate as a writer is that there's help and it looks different for everybody. But the the important piece is to be transparent, to process through it, acknowledge it and try to do something different. Welcome. You are listening to the Jordan Baylor Draft, a podcast that inspires writers to push through their limiting beliefs and blow the lid off of their personal creativity. My name is Jordan Baylor, a filmmaker best known for my animated web series, Love the Moochers. Listen as I sit down with writers to talk methods, habits, lessons learned, and how to make a beneficial impact with your work. Today is a new draft. Rewrite yours and improve. This is episode 36 of the Jordan Baylor Draft. Today, I'd like to deep dive into perspective. That's what I learned today from my guest, Bobby. She's a special, special woman. But she made me think of my perspective. Do you have one? Of course you have one. But are you taking advantage of it? Or are you just trying to fit in and be unseen? Now, Coming up, my grandmother used to always say, squeaky wheel gets the grease. You better start making noise. Now, she meant that as a rallying cry to stand out, stand up for something, make noise in the best way possible through your voice, with your perspective. Everybody has an opinion. I swear to God, that's so true. Now, do you ever find yourself holding yourself back because you know what needs to get done? but you're not taking the proper steps to get things done because deep down you're insecure. You fear failure. You fear it not working out. You fear all your hard work ending up with you being empty handed. It's time to step into your greatness and start making noise with your voice. This is your season to get to squeaking because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Enjoy this interview. It was very inspiring for me. And I'm sure it'll be for you. Welcome to another edition of the Jordan Baylor Draft, a series where we deep dive into the minds of authors, coaches, and industry creatives on what it takes to thrive as a writer. I have on the line writer of the recently released novel, Revelation. Revelation is a book that explores unresolved trauma, faith in the Black family. Meet therapist turned writer, Bobby Gentry Goodwood. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm great, Jordan. Thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate uh, being a part of your space. Oh, thank you so much. So I love to start every interview off and ask, who is Bobby? That's a great question. I think today I'm a failed puzzler. I've been working on a thousand piece puzzle and it's been driving me nuts. Um, But I think that... um, Who is Bobby? I think it depends on the season that I'm in. I wear Mm. many, many hats. I'm a mother. I'm a therapist. I'm a writer. I'm a Bible study teacher. Um, I wear many, many hats. I'm a friend, sister, community member. But overall, I'm a student. I'm a student of life. I love that. You you wear many different hats, but it's kind of all comes underneath the persona of Bobby. Mm-hmm. So this um, fraction of Bobby I'd like to talk to is the book author person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a writer, uh, you're a fiction author writing in the mm-hmm. Christian fiction niche. As a writer, how did you get your start and why did you decide to tell those type of stories? 
Well, as a writer, I first began writing when I was just a kid. So, you know, it's not something that I set out to do. I think it called me. Um, Mm. Sometimes, you know, that just happens that you can just be walking along the path and and you discover new facets about yourself, new facets about life, new uh, realms of uh, creativity. And so I began writing when I was just a child, just writing stories and poems and all kinds of things. And I just continued to do so uh, throughout my journey when I had time. And I just found that it was a great outlet for me. Um, just coming up with different characters, coming up with different poems, uh, different energies uh, to reflect what was going on either in my life or in communally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just continued on that journey. Uh, but while I was in graduate school, I was just in a boring class. It was a horrible class. Uh, my teacher was monotoned and didn't ask questions and just went on a dialogue for three hours. And so to occupy my mind. I just started writing this story. And little did I know that what my teacher was teaching about showed up in the pages. And the life that I was living and walking at that time as an intern in therapy, that showed up in the pages. And I just really started to uh, dive deeper into these characters in their lives uh, and started having fun doing it. I didn't even set out to write a book. I just set out to uh, occupy my time and uh, entertain myself. But as it started to develop, I started to get more into it. And I started to see that a story was forming and a story that I became more and more passionate about. And so that's really how the novel was birthed. And so as I continue writing, I continue to start looking at different facets that I thought would be interesting to put in the novel. And it just took off from there. I I love how you said that uh, you you wrote to to kind of have free time and just kind of clear your mind. And it and it seems like the the intention was just so pure, like it was just flowing. Because you said I entertain myself, mm-hmm. and sometimes us as writers, like we we get to a point where we have like we're so like in goal in mind that we forget that writing at least should be entertaining to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how did you keep the book? At what point was it where you were writing your book and you were like, you know what, this is a book that I can publish and share with other people? Or was it just like you got to the end and was like, oh, that was fun. Maybe I should do something with this. What what, what was it for you? Well, it actually started off when I started getting really excited about it and wanting to share it. Um, with pe- I would get, I would write something and get so excited about it and run and tell my uh, support <laughs> system, you got to read this, you got to read this. <laughs> And so they kept asking me for more and asking me for more. Uh, And so out of my own excitement and their excitement that I just dive deeper, Um, I just think it took took a life of its own. Some writers, they plot where they uh, write their whole story, the plot of their story. They write their characters, their journey, everything out on the paper before they even write one word of dialogue. And that wasn't my experience. I was a pacer. I mean, I just started getting in there and writing and writing and writing. And of course, as you write, you definitely have to revise. So there was a lot of revisions, but the book just poured out of me is what I'd say. And so the the excitement that I had about what was developing and sharing it with others is really what propelled me forward. And it just kind of uh, poured out at that point. And so I was very happy with the end result. 
I like how you, you know, you were just showing little snippets and slices of the book to friends and family or, or whoever's in your support system. And that kind of gave you the momentum to like get to the end and, and, and publish it. And I, I love to hear stories like that because sometimes authors always get to the end and they try and show like random people on the streets or however they try. And I think that's a great building tactic to give uh, authors or book writers or writers in general momentum, just show people like a little bit, like a little sample and mm-hmm. see if people are liking it. You know, even, mm-hmm. you know, I love that. Um, as a writer of fiction, as you were learning your craft, what was like an aspect of writing that um, tripped you up? Well, one of the parts that in writing I found that was really hard, um, there's a saying that we call kill your darlings. Ah. And so if you have something that you just love and is passionate about, you know, writing is birthed in your own head. And sometimes it doesn't translate. You're writing in your own language. Uh, And actually, that's something that we find in therapy also, is that sometimes we tell ourselves uh, different aspects of our own story that may or may not be true or that may or may not resonate with other people or be their truth. And so the most challenging part of writing for me was to kill my darling, something that really resonated with me. And I thought it would translate great. It just um, didn't translate or I had to go back and really look for those things because those things were really personal or those things was really, really personal to me and maybe not my reader. And so um, that was the most challenging part is going to going back through the novel and killing some of the things that I really, you know, those one liners, those zingers (laughs) that I really love, you know, uh, going in and killing those things. That was really, really tough. But it it really helps to progress you as a writer. I think it really helps to challenge you to think about things in new ways, like with therapy. Sometimes a different frame on the picture can really make things look differently. I think it helps you to grow as a writer in order to do that. Killing your darlings, like learning to kind of separate yourself from the work. Did you work with an editor or what was your editing process like? So I worked with an editor initially. Uh, I worked with a couple of editors. And then once the book was acquired, then another editor came in and did some work on the book as well. So never uh, published without having an editor. (laughs) Critique good groups are good. Like I mentioned, you know, having your family and the people that love you kind of uh, sharing those things. Of course, that is really good. But of course, they're in your corner, right? Yeah. Uh, And they want to cheerlead you on. Uh, So really getting some eyes on your project or your work of art that is not from someone that is in your support circle, um, but also becoming part of writers groups, uh, critique groups is also very important. And then getting an editor to really, really fine tune what is being published. I think that is uh, great advice. I think that's great advice. I I would like to pivot a little bit. I want to hear more about your book, Revelation specifically. And we were talking a little bit before the interview started about like why it was important to you. You know, it's about trauma and, 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 um, in the black community, how we are, you know, it's just a stigma on therapists and therapy mm-hmm. in general. It really is. Like I was telling you about my experiences as a black man, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I went to therapy for a couple of sessions and I personally, like when I, when I first started going, I felt weak, you know, I felt mm-hmm. like, I was, I was like, I'm not crazy. So mm-hmm. why was it important to go down that rabbit hole of, uh, going, talking about that? in general for you? What's important about that message for you? Well, for me as a therapist, I do think that um, sometimes in um, 
communities of color. I don't want to just say African-American communities, but sometimes in community of color, mental health is something that's really not talked about. I grew up in a time where when there was mental illness, we called uh, people touched. (laughs) Uh, We just didn't have the language. Uh, So, oh, Uncle Billy is touched or Auntie Bobby is touched. Um, But we really just didn't have the language. And we have, as African-American, and I can only speak for my um, experience because being an African-American is not a monolith. Um, but, <laughs> but in my experience, it just wasn't safe. And we as a culture and in the community I grew up in, we were so busy just trying to make it mm. uh, and so busy trying to make things happen for ourselves and for our family um, that we didn't have time for that. <laughs> we had yeah. to go to work. We had to uh, go to church. We had to kind of uh, take care of grandma, take care of the kids, uh, take care of the neighbor's kids, all of those things. And so um, it just wasn't talked about. But one of the places that I found that it was talked about was around the kitchen table. Being in a circle of women, really, you know, kids stayed in a kid's place during that time. But you got a lot of opportunity to hear things. And so around the kitchen table is where a lot of the women in my community process things, but they never went to the professional's office. And getting advice from your sister friend about your depression can be very helpful, but sometimes it doesn't hit at the core of the issue. Mm-hmm. And so in my professional experience, as I started to write, I started to really kind of delve into these characters in mental health. As I mentioned, I was in a master's program, but in my, this book took me, you know, over 10 years to write. And as I began to further explore, I had to really talk about mental health in a way that allowed for vulnerability. Because sometimes being vulnerable, as you mentioned, Jordan, it's the most uncomfortable thing. I don't want to tell somebody my most darkest secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got this, right? I got yeah. this. You know, I can handle this. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes you know, I find that African American community there is this air of trauma that goes back generations and generations and generations, and we just may do right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, things can be better. It's nothing wrong with making do, but it's great to make stew, right? It's great to take those ingredients and put them together and make something different out of them. And I think that by going into more mental health issues and really unveiling what that really can look like in real time, I mean, like you mentioned, I'm not talking to dogs on the street. Sometimes that's not what mental health looks like. Yeah. Mental health looks like, I just don't want to get out of bed. Between like images on TV, you know, we think mental images, it's just like the the worst, you know, like a homeless dude and he's like collecting cans, you know, it's like, oh, it's just an old crazy dude. Like that's what we think mental illness is. But like mental illness can be like something like mild OCD. You have to touch the doorknob times before you leave a room. Otherwise you think something bad is going to happen. That's that's mild, you know? And And what we're saying now is anxiety. Anxiety is hugely on the rise in all communities. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in in COVID, in the era of COVID, people are drinking more. There's been more overdoses. There's been, you know, people are numbing their pain. And so I do think that uh, part of my purpose in educating and part of my purpose in pulling that cover back is really giving it a face. 
mm-hmm. and not so much a name to try to reduce stigma. This is what Auntie Susan looks like. This is what she's dealing with. And this is what she's not dealing with, because that's the big, biggest piece I find in my novel that I try to communicate is that we do the best we can, but sometimes we're not dealing with it. And when we don't deal with it, it becomes a pothole in your lawn. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can really just continue to push, push the lawn over more over that pothole. We can sidestep it. But if we never address it, not only do our foot get stuck in it from time to time, but people who come behind us, their foot gets stuck in it too. And so that's one of the, the things that I really wanted to communicate as a writer is that there's help. There's help. And it looks different for everybody. But the, the important piece is to be transparent, to process through it, acknowledge it, and try to do something different. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Sock Season. I have a pair of their unisex essential star quality socks and man, they are comfortable. They truly are. They, they, they come in like weird, funky, cool colors. And I'm not just saying this because they paid me. I'm saying it because I'm a big sock guy and I hate socks that fall apart after a few washes or they're cheap or they're they're tight around the toe or they hurt around the ankle. I've experienced a lot of different socks and a lot of these companies are cutting corners. I've gotten socks from H&M, different department stores. And quite frankly, I feel like I've gotten beaten a lot of times because I no longer wear the socks. And after a few washes, they either rip or they shrink or I lose a pair or I lose one of the socks. That, the, those two are on me. But sometimes they're warped and they just lose their shape. But the cool thing about Sock Season is Sock Season has a unique 30-day wash guarantee, which covers socks bought within the first 30 days. Like if you buy them and they fall apart within the first 30 days, they will replace them. No questions asked. Which is crazy, but that's how much they believe in their socks. So go to www.sockseason.com. S-O-C-K-S-E-A-S-O-N.com. Use coupon code OFFSTAGE for 25% off your first order and tell them Jordan sent you because every day is sock season. Okay. That's 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 a that's a whole lot to digest. Um, can you give me a quick snapshot of of the book Revelation, like the, like a synopsis of it, and how did you you know stay true to your characters? Because I know you were telling me that like you were showing like this is what this looks like for your you know for this character, but like how did you stay true to the character, and how did what did, what did you what type of stuff did you do to uh, showcase that? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things is when I grew up, there was a favorite book of mine called Encyclopedia Brown. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you know that by Donald yeah, Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. And I grew up reading those. Yes, I grew up reading those things. Um, and I really love kind of a detective unearthing clues kind of mystery. And so I started my book in that in that vein um, that. The book starts off with a social worker, which I am by trade. I'm a social worker first, then a therapist. And she uncovers, uh, you know, one of her roles is to really put other pieces' lives together. But her life is in shambles. Mm -hmm. 
And so one of the things that she does in the in the opening of the book, she discovers um, an overdose junkie. But in that apartment where she finds that overdose junkie, it's a picture of her own father. What? So part of the novel really is unearthing that sometimes you can stumble on things in your own life that you don't expect. And we have to unearth those clues because they mean something. And so that um, so that's my main character in, in the novel. It comes from a social worker's perspective, but okay. it really weaves her life along with the other people's lives in her family and how it all comes together at the end. What is this picture doing there? Why is it there? And how will it impact her family along the journey? Wow, that that sounds really interesting. The, your main character is a social worker and you're a social worker in real life. So you're kind of like the John Grisham, you know, he's a lawyer. He writes book for lawyers. So this, you're like the John Grisham <laughs> book for social workers. I, so were you just like pulling your most interesting stories and being like putting your characters in that situation? Or were you like asking coworkers and trying to mm-hmm. pull their best stories to, to, to throw your, uh, your book? What were, what were you doing? Well, I definitely uh, did not do that uh, <laughs> because everybody's stories are their own. Yeah. Um, but there, but one of the templates that I really worked on was not only giving my uh, characters dimension, but also framing them as Bible characters mm-hmm. in the today and now. So my main character, uh, one of the uh, things that I really tried to do in the novel was to look at her in a way that if I looked at her Bible character, what would she look at look like now? Because it's a faith faith based novel. So her her um, the, at the core of her, she's the Samaritan woman. So if you know anything about the Samaritan woman, that's a woman who met Jesus at the well, but she lived quite a life of of sleeping around uh, and sleeping with other people's husbands. And so um, so with each character, that really was the core of who they were. It was a Bible character, and I contemporized that Bible character in what they would look like now from a social work perspective. Because one thing that we know in, in the Bible, one of the things that, that is clear uh, if, if people read the Bible is that every character had an issue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only one who did was Jesus, right? So every character had an issue, whether it was adultery, whether it was drinking, whether, you know, it, every character had, was it was it lack of faith. And the one thing that that I tie in the book is the faith-based perspective, because the other piece is that in the church, there's not a lot of room to talk about mental health. But mm-hmm. if you look in the Bible and you really, really uh, study the Bible, you will find that a lot of the, the central people in the Bible had mental health issues. They suffered from anxiety. They suffered from depression and suicidality and, and uh, alcoholism. And they really had a lot of issues. And so, um, so that's one of the parts that I really tried to bring out in the book. So the it was kind of like a Trojan horse, huh? Like you kind of brought it in so you can unpack those other, which you put. Oh, I love that. That's that's really ingenious. Was was that the original intention when you thought of the book? It wasn't because I just started to write the book um, just uh, in class. Um, but as it further developed, um, I took aspects from social work. I took aspects from therapy, and I also took aspects from the Bible. Wow, that's beautiful. 
That is really beautiful. As a writer, can you read other uh, people's fiction while you write? I can. So I love to read. Okay. Um, so not only was I a writer since uh, childhood, but as I mentioned, I started with Encyclopedia Brown. But I have always been an avid reader. Uh, and so I love to read other people's fiction. I love memoirs. Um, I do love to read. And so I can definitely continue to read. Uh, one of my favorite right now is Jody Peacoat. And she uh, does a great job of unearthing these clues. Like her characters have so much dimension and depth. Uh, one of the, my, my favorite books from her is 19 Minutes, and it's the story about a school shooter. Uh, and how do you empathize with a school shooter? And so she does a beautiful job. Uh, so I do love, definitely love to read other books, and it gives inspiration, right? Part of studying your craft is knowing what's out there, right? And yeah. what's in different genres and what speaks to you. And it can give you ideas and it can help you to hone your craft. So it's very important to be well-read, I believe. I agree with that. What's a book you wish you had written? Well, uh, anything by Toni Morrison. I think she is one of the finest writers. um, In the history of America. I mean, she is. Easily. Oh, my God. She's a tremendous writer. Um, So anything by her. um, Her work is so intimidating. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, that, that's that's what I have to say about it. I I don't even put her on my list because like I I don't want to I don't want to go through what she had to go through to get the book out because I was reading the story about uh, how she wrote Beloved and I was like no I wouldn't want to do that because she was saying like uh like uh, she was at her beach house and then the spirit came and visited her on the beach house and it was like a spirit of a slave woman and then the story came and I was just like nope not good <laughs> you know like I don't want to go there nothing experiential for you yeah no because it was like she was like she was like I was a vessel and I told her story and I was like oh my god that is so impactful and she went on to win a Pulitzer for the book and all yes, this and definitely. I was like awards which is it's cool but the most important thing was she got the story out but i don't want i would <laughs> i would not want to be a channel no visitations. no visitations let me stick with my imagination like i just that's why i never put her on my list i mean she's so intimidating she is such an amazing she's writer an artist i mean she yeah. is really um one of the finest um but it begs to the importance of people's stories being told uh, because, you know, the the one thing that we find is if we don't tell our stories, other people will. <laughs> and so it's so important for people to share their own stories and uh, to share the stories of their people. Uh, and really, um, because it touches people in different ways. Like some might, some might meet beloved and not feel anything. Uh, but for some, it speaks volumes. Yeah, uh-huh. she yeah, she wrote it for the people who it connected with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I love how you said um it's important to tell, you know, our stories or just your story, whatever story that you're going through from your lens, your perspective, because you know your culture, like you know what you do in your house around Christmas time or 
Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, if you celebrate anything at all, like that's part of your culture. So um, do you encourage the people around you to write or are you getting anybody that you personally know into the writing process? I do. I do. In therapy, I often encourage people to write because it can be very cathartic. Um, It's writing in journals because, you know, part of part of our experience is to be able to tell our stories in a real authentic way. And sometimes people hold their stories and sometimes it really, really does more damage than it does good. Um, You know, we can only try to process it in our minds, but sometimes the mind can process it in different ways that's not helpful. Uh, And so I definitely encourage people that I work with uh, to write their stories um, and know that, you know, one chapter doesn't necessarily look like the next chapter. Um, And so um, and our stories are always unfolding. Uh, I do encourage um, my children to write. Um, I have a, a published author in my midst. My my youngest daughter, she's age 14. She's published her first short story. Uh, so, um, thank you. So uh, uh, she published two years ago. So we were really excited about that. Uh, but also to really, really dive deeper. Because a part of writing things and getting things out of your head is sometimes to really dive deeper. It gives it texture. And so I definitely encourage people to write all the time. Um, You know, it's just a really, really good art form. And it doesn't have to be writing. I mean, we're finding, you know, one of the things that we find sometimes people, they'll never enter a therapy office, but they'll read a book. They'll never enter a therapy office, but they'll hear a song. It doesn't necessarily have to be a writing stories. I mean, people write music. um, Whatever medium. Yes, whatever medium that works for you. Um, You you were talking, you said the book took you about 10 years, you said, to write this book. So... When, at what point, what was tripping you up to, 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 you know, I mean, to sit on a book for 10 years, that's a really long time to kind of be sticking with the same story. Um, what, what was tripping you up and, and what were like some things that you were trying to figure out on ways to go deeper on it? Well, the one story thing or, that, or traps um, or, oh, that I, don't know. What was the I would process? say to writers out there is that to keep at it. Perseverance is key, right? Um, because one of the things that happen is life. <laughs> I got married. I had children. Um, I began my professional career. So life got in the way. Uh, and sometimes, um, which is not uncommon, that sometimes when life gets in the way, people put their dreams on hold or they put their projects on hold or what they've been working on on hold or, or what their passions that they want to pursue or their hobbies. They put them on hold because life really gets in the way. Uh, but sometimes, you know, for me, I could say um, it was important to get back to what I had started perseverance, you know, one of the, the the biblical stories that really, really sticks with me all the time uh, is these Israelites in the wilderness, right? And they kind of wandered through this wilderness for 40 years, 40 years doing the same thing, doing the same thing, and they just didn't get the lesson. And so um, one of the things that really propels me forward is outside of the wilderness, there's a promised land, but you got to get the lesson and you got to keep walking. Because if you don't keep walking, you'll never get there. 
Uh, and so one of the things that in, in shelving this book and continue to work on it, pull it from the dusty drawer here and there, pull it from the dusty drawer here and there, is really um, holding on to what I know is true in me and holding on to what my desires are. Uh, and just to keep walking. I mean, we come. Uh, I come from a people of perseverance. I don't want to say that you do, but I come from a people who, at their very, uh, that come from their core perseverance, uh, and to really keep walking despite all odds. And so that part really, really continues to to uh, propel me forward in all that I do. Like I'm working on another project right now and sometimes I get weary, right? Um, and that's true with therapy also. You know, sometimes the it just doesn't happen like that. You just have to kind of keep at it and persevere and chip away, chip away, chip away because there's a promised land, but you just have to keep walking to get to it. It, it kind of seems like the book like I really like that you kept going back to it because there's this projects that I have like that that were you know like it's just like like a little voice like like you know keep going keep going like all right you, you put it down you walk away you're like all right I, I can't do it right now because you might not be a good enough writer to what you want to write you might not be you might not have the skill set to do that but I love how you just kept going back and 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 I want writers to take from that that whatever project you're working on if you, your skills are not at the level to where you want it to be at. Keep going at it because your skill will improve. Like just stop being so hard on yourself and thinking that you can't do it. And then just giving up on the whole process entirely. Cause you have to learn to enjoy the process. And, and, and my guest Bobby like has learned to like the process, go through the process and, and go get information and then put it into her book. Mm-hmm. That, that is just admirable. Like for real. Well, I think it was Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky that said, "You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you don't take <laughs> it's not yeah. going to go in. So, yeah. um, so keep taking your shot. You know, you got to take a lot of shots to get the hat trick. Cause yeah, and, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I used to be a Wayne Gretzky fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And dude, he's missed a lot. Patrick Jordan. Yeah. I mean, one time I watched him, I was like, man, this guy sucks. Because like he kept missing. And then he started hitting them. I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's how you do it. You know? So, yeah. It was like the first time I had ever watched him. Everybody's like, I was like, he's not that good. <laughs> well, I I'm coming from the area of we have Steph Curry here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a basketball fan, different sport. Yeah. Uh, but Steph Curry, man, he, everything he throws up goes in. It's like he doesn't miss. <laughs> he does, but he 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 makes them most of the time. But the one thing we know about Steph here in the Bay Area, practice. We go to the games ahead of time, like two hours ahead of time, because he's out there practicing that shot. He's practicing that three. That's what he does. That's part of his routine is just to take shots, take shots, take shots. That's what Steph does. Um, And what an inspiration and a model, actually, Um, because in order to hone your craft, you have to keep taking shots. You have to keep writing. You won't get better if you're not writing. Right. You won't publish if you don't keep submitting. (laughs) Uh, So really keep shooting your shot because it'll go in. It'll go in. What does your practice look like? Like, how did you improve as a writer? Was it like an hour a day or 15 minute sprints? I've talked to so many different writers. It it always looks different for everybody. What works for you? Well, I have to tell you, I wish I had an hour a day. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had an hour a day, Uh, but I don't have an hour a day. So for me, really 
owning the time that I did have, right? Shedding the door because I have a couple of kids, I have a spouse. uh, And so really shedding that door and giving time to myself. And that goes across the board. It's not just writing. I walk every day. And so I know in order to walk every day, I have to get in my gear. I have to put those shoes on. I have to lace it up and I have to get out there. And sometimes I don't feel like it. When it's raining, I don't feel like it. But a lot of times when I come in, I'm grateful, right? And so really the practice and the discipline, so really works for me is setting time. Now, some weeks I don't have a lot of time, right? But I do try to set aside time all the time to really hone in on that concentrated time, not only to write, but to study my Bible, to, to, I'm a Bible study teacher too. So I I work on my Bible study lessons and I walk Um, because, you know, the one thing that we, that I know, and this is, you know, just true in my own life. If I don't make time and I'm not disciplined about it, I won't get to do the things that I enjoy. Life will take up my time. And so, you know, my work has time, my kids have time, my husband has time, but I also need time. I love that. Put, you're making yourself a priority. And, mm-hmm. and as a writer, you need to do that. You need to make yourself a priority. You need to put on your schedule, writing time and, and shut off the phone and treat it like a job. Treat it like, not maybe not a job, but treat it like, like you respect it, you know, respect your craft because your work is respectable. Um, what it, what, I've had a great chat here, Bobby. Um, What's a quote or something you'd like to leave the audience with? Oh, gosh, a quote. Let me think about that. Mm. Okay, so this is a cultural quote, (laughs) I say, Jordan. So maybe you'll recognize it. (laughs) (laughs) But in my culture, in the African-American culture, uh, in my area, because sometimes these things are unique to areas, right? But one of the things that we say all the time is, don't just talk about it, be about it. Do you recognize that, Jordan? Don't talk about it, be about it. Don't just talk about it, be about it. And that's what I would like to leave everyone with, including myself, right? Because I'm a student of life, just like everybody else is. But a lot of times we can talk about a lot of things, the things that we're going to do, the dreams that we have, uh, the goals that we want to accomplish, um, when this gets better, when this gets better, when when, when this just happens, when that just happens, then I'll do it. Well, we talk a lot, but action is what really counts. If someone says they love you every day, but they never give you flowers or they never give you things that speak in your own love language or they never make you a priority or they never even pay attention to you or see you or or do anything for you or um, acknowledge you then do you really think they love you, right? Mm-hmm. If I have a friend and she never calls, <laughs> then is she really my friend, right? So so it's really about being about it. So that's what I'd like to leave the audience with today. Don't just talk about it, be about it. Do what you set out to do because in the end, there is a promised land, but you got to walk to get there. You got to go through the fire to get to, mm-hmm. to, I love it. I love that. How can the people get in touch with you? Well, I'm on all social media outlets, uh, most anyway, 
Um, as I was telling you, Jordan, technology is not my game, but I think that's <laughs> for tech teenagers. Uh, but I am on YouTube. Um, you can uh, definitely go to my YouTube channel. That's where all my Bible study lessons are uh, that contemporizes um, um, our Bible characters. Uh, and that's under Bobby Gentry Goodwin. You can reach me on Facebook at Bobby Gentry Goodwin Author or on Instagram as Bobby Gentry. And then, of course, I have a website. Uh, you can definitely write uh, now. You can uh, secure my book on my website. Uh, the book is called Revelation. And I also have a blog. Uh, and so that talks about parenting, talks about mood, all kinds of things in life. Uh, and that's www.bobbygentrygoodwin.com. All right. And the link will be in the show notes. And make sure you pick up a copy of uh, Revelations. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your chat. I, I learned a lot. I, uh, I learned a lot about myself, honestly. Um, so this has been another draft of the Jordan Baylor draft. Now turn off your phone and go right. 